Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Trey Sertish. Trey, what yes. episode of our podcast is this? <laughs> well, it's the last one of the first season. That's right. That's right. It is episode number what? 10. 13. Episode number 13. Lucky number 13. 13 episodes in our I first can't believe season. 13. That's I know. Crazy. Time flies. Time flies. But we've had a lot of fun. So we are taking a little break. We are going to go to the lab and work on our first ever Translate Your Doctor informational course focused on heart failure, with you, which you and I are both very excited about. Mm-hmm. And this episode, what we thought we'd do is we'd take a half step back because it's flown by so fast and just recap what we've learned, what we've talked about, the challenges with healthcare, what's wrong with healthcare is what we themed the first season. And, and you and I, through our exploration and through the wonderful conversations that we've had with our other folks, have had some really cool conversations, had some good learning together. So I compiled a list of some themes from our first handful of episodes so that we could do somewhat of a cliff notes if you missed every other episode and this is your first episode here's a cliff notes version of of what trey and i have talked about over the past three months so first and foremost the theme of physician advocacy comes up a Mm -hmm. lot when listening to those first handful of episodes what is your elevator pitch version of what having a physician advocate means to a patient means that it's not enough to get the answer or guidance or medicine or surgery or procedure or whatever it is that your physician's offering to you as a service. Like physicians aren't just a bundle of services. Some can be more than others, but generally speaking, if you want a relationship, an effective relationship with your doctor, with your provider, then looking for someone who's going to advocate for you beyond just the service that you need in that moment is just crucial, crucial. Wonderful. I think the shorthand of physician advocacy is having a relationship with your physician, said a different way. But the idea of finding someone who is an advocate for you, I think what, what was the rule that you've talked about? Every Everybody wants a physician that thinks about them when they're not in the room. You, you have a better way of saying it. How would you say? Yeah. So it even can boil down to everyone just wants a physician who's thinking five minutes about them, just like only about them, about their problems. And that represents just that undivided attention that we all crave from our loved ones, but I think especially from our doctors. And one of the big challenges in healthcare, and we'll talk about this in one of my notes later on, is that with the increased number of providers, the fractured nature of healthcare, 50 years ago, Marcus Welby times, which is even further back than that, there were, you had one doctor. Now, you weren't getting as the depth of care and the intricate specificity of care that you're getting now in our modern world, but you had a one-stop shop in terms of the physician that was helping guide you through the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Now, with 10 different, if you have a, a serious illness, if you have something that's really complicated, you've got a handful of different physicians that are prescribing a handful of medications, you don't have a consolidated way to have a quarterback for your care. So this idea of a physician advocate, this idea of having someone who is the captain of your care, mm-hmm. who is thinking about you as the whole person, as the whole relationship, and not becoming a victim to this transactional right. quality that our modern healthcare system can have. Absolutely. And again, we're not advocating that they shouldn't represent that. In fact, 
I, I don't want doctors to go back to 50 years ago because we have gotten very good at delivering these services, very good at certain disease processes and and making sure people get the care that they need on a large scale basis. It's not perfect. And so I don't necessarily want to get rid of that. I just am saying that, and I think that we're echoing that be careful, like you're saying, not to lose that quarterback, not to lose that advocate and not realize that you have power to advocate for yourself to find that person. This leads us wonderfully into the second topic, which is what makes a good doctor? Our first hot debate that we had to <laughs> split into two episodes because you and I couldn't, couldn't get to a simple answer to that <laughs> simple question. And any further thoughts? I know that we ended up in this wonderfully philosophical debate, but when I say what makes a good doctor, what comes to your mind in terms of how patients should think about that, how you're thinking about that sitting here now? Yeah, trying to simplify it. I think it is, I think we've already said it, which is someone who's gonna give that undevoted attention to you. And that doesn't mean in the room necessarily. It, ideally it is that and more, but sitting down and thinking about your problem with an exacting nature and really focusing on that issue and you as a person, that's what you'd hope from a good doctor. And that can manifest in many different ways. That can manifest person to person, during a surgery, outside, in, in the office. I just think that boiling it down, that's perhaps the most simplistic way to talk about it, which is reflected on your first point, which is that advocacy and undivided attention. So I think if you can do those two things, then you're a good doctor. The only thing I would add to that, that mm -hmm. I think you and I did a good job of bringing in in the last couple of episodes, is this idea of the physician being open and being sensitive to the patient, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the episode title uh, of that topic was doctor versus mm -hmm. patient. And the, mm -hmm. I'm here to um, save your ass, not kiss your ass. Mm -hmm. You're, I think what makes a good physician is a physician who thinks about their patient, not as, not as the enemy, not as the antagonist, who doesn't have this paternalistic or as paternalistic mm -hmm. an approach to care, which mm -hmm of course, falls under that relationship banner, falls under that physician advocacy mm -hmm. banner, but uh, a physician that has a, a collegial open relationship with their patient. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We talk a little bit about, we've talked a little bit about the patient appointment and why the, the exam room experience, that 20 minute experience for the patient is such a challenging place to receive care. And our theme in that episode is that in the modern world and with all of these different ways to engage, we've bottled up the experience and the relationship between physician and patient to one that sort of has to fit in this module. And we've limited the room for this relationship to take place in, in other contexts. Mm -hmm. For example, you and I have built Translate Your Doctor, we've built this podcast, we've built the educational services we're hoping to build as a counter to that saying, we believe you can get good medical content outside of the constraints of the exam room and we want to normalize that anything you'd add on to the 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 patient appointment and the exam room as this this constraint and how we deliver healthcare. i think it's a point that you've made which is only half of the parties involved the doctor namely understands this model the other half the patient generally doesn't they don't know whether 
the they don't know about the soap format like we talked about right like what what patients should talk about what can we measure what is our assessment what is our plan from the doctor so they're just talking about their problem they expect their problems to be addressed because they're at the doctor's office but how are you supposed to expect and know that if you don't even you don't even know it so i think that that is a really great insight that you have pointed out and that we've talked about with regard to this problem and that's a wonderful segue number four on my list was actually the soap note because that's something you taught me i knew of what the soap note was but i didn't realize that that was such a a powerful tool and a powerful framework to understand how your doctor thinks when i posted the episode on facebook someone that worked at a veterinary clinic actually commented underneath and said oh yeah that's the same thing we use in the vet's office when (laughs) when working with animals it's just it's a a very easy to understand framework for how your medical provider is going to work through or process through their decision making when you show up in the exam room and understanding that is I think the first step to to understanding and contextualizing why a physician is responding the way they are or engaging with you the way they are and how you can present yourself in a way that makes it as easy as possible for the physician to understand where you're coming from. Yeah, 100%, 100%. A big topic, but one that really is underneath all of these these elements, these themes, is fee-for-service medicine. And you know that, that's a huge conversation. We condensed it into one episode, but the transactional nature of healthcare really comes back to how we pay for medicine in this country, which is if you do something that can be fit into a what's called a CPT code or HCPCS code, or it doesn't really matter, then that's what'll get done. So if a physician can bill for an office visit, then the physician's going to do an office visit. But there are lots of things that a a physician doesn't know how to bill for and so won't do around patient education, around these uh, Mm non-traditional forms of care. So the fee-for-service system and the incentives aligned with that, which is, well, I'm not going to write this in in a in a phone note. I'm not going to write this in a in a text message. I'm I'm going to need to do a billable office visit to compensate my time, it forces inconvenience on the patient as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I'm a little jealous, or I wouldn't, maybe not jealous. I'm really uh, frustrated that you didn't name the episode that we sort of talked about and addressed this as counseled and educated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that's what we joked about at the time, which was like the the things that we do not incentivize get just this very, it's superficial discussion that we did it which is all of education for patients is not really paid for at all for physician time and so people aren't going to do it but they want to and recognize that it's important so they just write counsel and educate it even though they probably spent 20 seconds on it during your 20-minute visit which you're trying to recoup the cost of that time for your clinic for your family for all these things and the thing that pays is the clinic visit and seeing as many patients as possible so it kind of screws with the with the incentives like you've described eloquently and we've discussed through the season. There's a term that we use when in the management field, in the, in the professional administrator field, which is what gets measured gets managed. Mm-hmm. And it's almost related to, to fee-for-service reimbursement, right? Yeah. What, what gets compensated gets done. Oh, yeah. The same op- thing applies to education. Same thing applies to education. You can measure tests. You can measure these things. You can't measure when we talk about with the hidden curriculum, how nice you are, how much do you, how well do you educate, how well do you communicate. The stuff ain't, me- ain't measured, and so it's very hard to teach and uh, focus on. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, that's great. You're echoing uh, exactly what I wanted to, to talk about. Physician burnout. 
provider burnout, right? That, that's been a theme running through the all of our topics around Dr. McClelland, who was the first one who came onto it. And that originally was a, a discussion around fee-for-service medicine, but that, that translated to a discussion about, about burnout because the fee-for-service medicine discussion was uh, meant to be a discussion around resources and giving patients what they need. But it's very easy for any discussion around the transactional nature of healthcare to turn into a discussion around the hamster wheel, which is how everyone talks mm-hmm. about what physicians do, which is, gosh, just in order for me to pay for my mortgage and pay for it and make a living, I have to bill out so many codes. I have to do so many XYZs every single day. You're working backwards in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so every physician feels under the gun based on how our, the fee-for-service system works. And that, on top of compassion fatigue, which you've talked about, leads to this sense of really dread, despair, burnout. That's a plague in our, in our healthcare industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I could say it better. And I think that Dr. McClellan is a perfect representation of that. I'm shielded a bit from it being in academics. I'm not totally shielded from it because the realities of who makes money in the hospital and and what makes money impact everybody, even if you're technically salaried at an academic institution. But Dr. McClellan's experiences spoke very much to the realities of this problem. And she works at a place, at an institution that purportedly favors a more patient-centered approach. And I think succeeds in many ways, but clearly not completely. Yeah. And that fed also right into our doctors versus patients discussion that we had recently, right? Which is mm-hmm. here to save your ass, not kiss it uh, around. This is why physicians end up that way. Uh, physicians mm-hmm. are victims too, to some extent. And, and something that's a, that's a trope in, in a lot of media is this idea of like victims beget victims, right? Someone who is victimized tends to victimize other people because you're emotionally closed off or you're traumatized, you lash out, you get triggered and you do things that are that are unproductive, right? Dr. McClellan told that great example about being, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, by a patient. She felt victimized in that moment and, and did not act skillfully with that patient, which then made the patient feel a certain way. Physicians having a bad day and, and taking it out on, on their patients un- unintentionally or sometimes intentionally in ways that can be cruel or or short-sighted. Which which speaks again, I'll say, because I think the second half of that story for Dr. McClelland is that she had a relationship with that patient. That patient understood the humanity of Dr. McClelland and was able to forgive her, especially when Dr. McClelland was like, I'm sorry, She, she recognized that. And I think that speaks to what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, what we've always gone back to this advocacy, this thinking about your patient, what makes a good physician. But I think it's also just recognizing that it's a relationship it's just so important to understand. And if you can find and forge that relationship with your physician, like you can with your patients, you'll be more fulfilled and it'll just be more understandable when you're not perfect. Just like with your um, loved ones, we can't be perfect all the time, particularly when it's a really stressful job and being really stressful, being sick like that, that's stressful too. So it's like two people, two parties who are really stressed and just being kind to each other. It sounds like a poster, but I, I believe that that's the truth. Yep. That episode is a really great episode with with Michelle, with Dr. McClelland. Uh, I just looked it up. It's Your Doctor is Burned Out, short and sweet. So if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, listener, I recommend you check it out. It's a really wonderful discussion with uh, with Dr. McClelland. Support groups and patient education, these non-traditional ways of engaging with patients. It's a shame that I'm I'm describing patient education as non-traditional, but because it's, it's not... Uh, very robust in our current system, uh, counseled and educated. It's three words in most medical charts. 
These are different ways that, that you and I want to promote for patients to get support, to find ways to, to engage in a different way around their illness. We had that wonderful conversation with Maggie Teleska, who we've, who we've kept in touch with, who is really an inspiration around people that are really evangelizing around an illness category. And every patient should have access to those kinds of resources that they get on, on these support groups that exist out there. Yeah, you've already addressed it, right? It, this isn't the medicine of 50 years ago when it was really concentrated on doctor, nurse. Medicine has evolved and the relationship has evolved, but also understanding the system, like how can I best work the system to get where I need to go and get the care that I need. And a part of that is like we've introduced is patient support groups, but really just social networks, like understanding, like how, how have other people dealt with this? How do my loved ones feel about this? Yeah, how does my work feel about this? If I'm willing to share you know, all these things that make you, you, and it makes it a lot easier if you have other people who can normalize it. We have technology now that's perfectly capable of enabling these dynamic and alternative forms of patient engagement via support groups, via all these other things. But we don't have a reimbursement structure that incentivizes physicians and care providers to find alternative ways to engage patients. Right. And uh, even the fact that we don't support more active social work or behavioral health right. uh, support. There's a behavioral health boom right now that's being really captured by tech startups because we have such a broken infrastructure around behavioral health, which is a, a critical failing in our traditional healthcare system that we, we still have. A, it's not actively stigmatized potentially, but it's stigmatized in how we reimburse for medicine and that mental health benefits are carved out of traditional medicine, which is really a shame. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yes. Yeah. And the last one that I wrote down here, Trey, is shared decision-making, which is another one that, that just touches through all the different things that we've talked about, which is an undercurrent of this physician-patient relationship, that it is not just the physician that is making the decision on the care plan. We may think that, and we may want to pretend that, but if we acknowledge that for people that have complex life-altering illnesses, that their care plan really is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we may not always acknowledge that shared decisions are being made, but mm -hmm. it is a shared decision-making model. I think really the challenge to the traditional medical industry is to acknowledge the decision-making that's happening with the patient and to solicit the buy-in of the patient on what is happening with their illness. Because to the extent that you ignore it, to the extent that you treat that as a paternalistic relationship, you're going to be missing out on all the things the patient is just gonna do of their own volition and, and on their own time that do impact their ability right. to get to good care. Right, you might as well engage them. It, it not only is more effective in how the system works now and, and what I think a lot of doctors want from their patients. Like a lot of doctors complain about like, oh, they're not taking personal responsibility. They're not doing taking their medicine and stuff like that. But then they're like insulted when the patient's like, okay, well, I guess I'll go look for information that you're not giving me. And it's like, how dare you? <laughs> and, and so I think that while it's understandable to be frustrated that patients are going to places that perhaps are dubious or even downright harmful for them, guide them guide them. You don't want to infantilize children or patients but, and treat them like children, but it's kind of like that, which is like, listen, you got to lean in to your kids when they're going to, because they're going to look for answers and they're going to go someplace and either see they're going to be in their friends or on the internet or someplace else. And that's kind of the same thing with patients and their health. They want, they need the answer. They need the answer. And I think telling them that you don't know doesn't invalidate your 
relationship and sometimes can empower it because a lot of times there aren't answers. And frankly, the answers aren't always good with that you give to patients. And if you have that relationship and you have that, that respect from that person and you can tell them like, listen, like I don't have a good answer for your incurable cancer. I don't have a good answer for that. It's not going to guarantee that that person doesn't go off and look for some impossible cure to them, but it, I think reduces the chances that they're going to feel like they weren't listened to. That's well said. Very well said. What do you think we missed here, Trey? That was my, just looking back through the episodes, listening mm -hmm. to some of the, some clips. Those are the eight things that popped out to me. What, what are some thematics or what are some things, if we were doing the Cliff Notes version, takeaways yeah. from this first season learnings for you? Yeah. Honestly, I just, I think back to the introductory seminar we did, which is again, asking people, if you're going to take all these points that we've talked about here, take all these issues that we've discussed more at length throughout the season, what are the first steps? Ask yourself, what is important to you? Like overall with regard to your health, I told the story of Mr. Smith, right? This is the gentleman who had a heart failure. He wanted to go fishing with his buddies. That's all he wanted to do. He just needed to be effectively treated so he could go do that still. And he couldn't do it because of the medicine that he was on, blah, 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 and didn't know about that. Go and listen to it. But my point is, is just that the doctor can't possibly help you if you don't know yourself to then tell them what is valuable to you and do that shared decision-making. So the first step is really just know thyself. It's very Socratic, it's very Greek, but know thyself so that you can communicate that for something as, I wouldn't say as simple as a cold, but for simple health things all the way up to dire circumstances that you experience with yourself or loved ones. So I, I think that's the most important thing. And it contextualizes so much of the other things we've talked about in this episode in the season about shared decision making and what makes a good doctor and communication and burnout and all these things that I think it highlights that if you know what you need so that you can effectively advocate for that. Well, Trey, if you, unless you have any last words, we'll wrap up a short yeah. and sweet summary episode. As a reminder, we're going to take the next probably four weeks off and we'll pick back up. We're going to rethink our uh, format. We're going to try to always be iterating on the things that we're doing here on the translate your doctor podcast and give you some exciting updates on some of the things that Trey and I are doing on the side. As always, check us out at translateyourdoctor.com. Email us at translateyourdoctor at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. It's all very exciting. Leave us a five-star rating. You don't have anything better to do. Say something nice about us. It'll make us feel good. Helps promote the podcast. And with that, we will catch up with you next month. Have a good one. Thank y'all.